Here we are, December 2nd, 2012, lecture discussion number 91 on the Book of Romans. Okay, the uh, question that we always ask, where are we now after 90-some lectures in or about the Book of Romans? After we've gone through 90 of these, where are we? And yes, you are correct, we're in Genesis 3.15. It's in your bulletin. Actually, we're in Genesis uh, 3.14 through 21. And we're asking questions that we've asked many, many times uh, but we have to do it. Uh, we're in there again because of Romans 5.12. So we're asking questions again, once again, about Adam, Eve, Satan, the fallen angels, the unfallen angels. And again, whenever you're talking about um, Genesis, you have to remember the context of the angelic host, both fallen and unfallen, watching what is happening there and reacting or responding to it. So we also have to discuss the virgin birth because that's the first place in Scripture where it is and, uh, and very significantly. And that, of course, impacts the Davidic covenant eventually later. Um, and always we have free will and existence to deal with. And then the two trees. I had somebody last week come up to me uh, that had been attending here for a long time and said, uh, I didn't know there were two trees in the garden and that each one of them had their own distinct decision to be made about them. Um, and that kind of caught me by surprise, because I try to say that as often as I can so that you know that. There's two trees there. You have to understand the impact of each tree. Once one tree is gone to, how that affects the other tree. If neither tree is, is uh, impacted by going to either tree, how that what, what the purpose of them is. And remember, what the purpose of them is from the angelic standpoint. And the naming of the animals is, um, is Bill brought up, and I love the sunglasses. I really do. I, I think we should all have them. It's not fair that Bill has sunglasses and the rest of us don't. But, but the, the naming of the animals, not only is it important from what it says about Adam, but also what it says to the fallen and unfallen angelic hosts that are watching it, as well as the animals themselves, what it means to the animals that this is the one that names them, and how they respond, as Bill pointed out, to their naming. And then the building of the woman, and that's how it is, that's the literal Hebrew there. She is not, she is builded out of Adam as opposed to Adam being created out of dust. She is builded out of Adam. And very important to just as an aside. He is made out of the dust, of course. Uh, life is breathed into him. He is a living soul, and now he is placed into the garden. So the garden is, is, is something that he is put inside of. Very important to know that. And then, of course, that brings his federal headship or the federal headship of Adam into it. And there's many more that I'm not mentioning. All of that is because of Romans 5.12. And what questions are we asking today? Well, um, it, it's important to remain in the context of Romans 5.12 because that's really where we're supposedly at, right? Emphasis on the word supposedly. Let me just give it to you again. Through one man, Romans 5.12, through one man, sin entered the world and death spread to all because all sin. Now, I made that a truncated paraphrase, if you will, but you get the point. The reason I did it is to make sure you saw the through one man. Through one man, Adam, sin and death entered and spread to all men. You have sin and death because of what happened to Genesis 3, 
Through this one man, man, Adam, sin entered and spread and death to all men because. We'll get to the because pretty shortly. So to rephrase it a little bit, the new physical reality, because the angelic host had their reality. You call it spiritual or supernatural reality, if you will, but they had theirs. And now this new physical reality was created. And it is, it is, after Genesis 3, it's now contaminated by the decisions of this one man. He makes a decision. And now all of it is contaminated. And by the way, how about the spiritual reality that the angelic host is in? Is it contaminated? It is also contaminated. So the new physical reality is contaminated. Yes, those of you who are saying, who contaminated, if you will, uh, who caused the um, spiritual reality to be in chaos? And that's the fall of Satan, isn't it? So, again, to repeat myself, which I do a lot more than I used to, and I'll do a lot more as I go on. The new physical, organic reality, notice how I say that, I add that word organic reality, is now contaminated by the decision of this one man, Adam. And that causes a series of questions, as you're aware. We just get that part, and now we got thousands of questions. Let me give you a couple. Why did Adam's decision cause sin and death to enter and spread? Why didn't Eve's decision cause sin and death to enter and spread? What is it about Adam's decision that is different than Eve's decision? Okay, Is there a distinction by the way, because I've repeated it now five, six times to get it into your mind, I'm going to ask you, is there a distinction or a difference between entering and spreading? In other words, why does sin enter and why does death spread? Put another way, what is the importance of because all sin? See, sin and death enter and spread to all men because all sin. What is the importance of because all sin? Death spreads because all sin. What's the obvious question now? Why? Why do all sin? I, I always love pastors that do this. It just makes me laugh. And I, uh, I guess that's my way of, of uh, enjoying Sermons that I don't give, which, by the way, is not easy for me for many reasons. None of them are because I want to do it um, instead of them. But I am particularly enjoy pastors who declare to their congregation, every one of you is a sinner. That's true, by the way. But I always notice the, the lack of inclusion there. And finally, I heard a pastor say, as you've heard me say in the past, I hope you've heard, maybe you haven't. Some We have a visitor, don't ask him his name. Uh, but uh, I just wanted that to get into the record, so it's now in Australia. But I had this pastor say right after that, you all sin, and your sin is different than my sin. And I, I just, what stopped me from laughing out loud? I don't know. He was absolutely serious, and I know that he has said it many, many times because uh, I just happened to catch the one time. Well, there's the truth. His sin is not different than theirs. They're all the same. He thinks it's different, which makes his worse. 
just to bring that about. Anyway, obvious question is why do all sin? Why do all of us sin? And it seems like it's incessant. There's very few periods of time in our lives where we can say we're not sinning besides sleeping. Why do all sin? What then is the existence or the relationship? I'm sorry. What then is the relationship of free will existence and the physical contamination that came through the one man, Adam? Because there is a relationship. But notice how I say existence now. I say free will existence. Why do I do that? Because there is no existence without free will. So I tie them together so that you begin to see that position uh, coming to the fore. But anyway, when you're asking that final question there, what is the relationship of free will existence and the physical contamination that came through the man? Back you go to where? Back you go to the woman and her decision. Or why didn't sin and death spread through the physical contamination of the woman? Why is it the man has the physical contamination aspect? Why not the woman? And where are we now, right now? What did I just do to you? I put you into another realm, didn't I? Uh, You're right again. I'm watching you. We are discussing the purpose of the virgin birth now. Or the seed of the woman. As well as why the woman did not receive the same sentence at trial that the man did. Or what's, what, what many will call the difference between undeceived and deceived. Eve received a lesser sentence. I'll call her Eve, but it's really the woman at this point. She's not Eve until Adam does what to her? Adam names her that. Right now he called her woman. And by the way, many will say this. I don't want to put it into the record because uh, many will say he called her this. Because that's what he was emphasizing. Have you heard that before? Never heard that? Okay, well then maybe I will put it into the record. I thought everybody knew it and I was saving it. Uh, there's a position out there that says that Adam understood that her there was a significant difference. Obviously, she had uh, a womb. And woman is womb man. That position is very prevalent. You should run into it all the time. Have you never run into that before? Oh, good. One. That's 10% of the congregation. I'm, I'm kidding. Not, re- not really. No. Okay, but uh, you need to know that. But why we're in the purpose of the virgin birth as, w- as well as why the woman did not get the same sentence as the man. They, you can make the case that they ultimately had the same crime. They both ate, right? But the man's crime is somehow more serious. Is it because he's not deceived and she is deceived? Yes. Difference between undeceived and deceived. He gets a stronger sentence for many reasons. And we've got to resolve that, by the way. Eve received a lesser sentence at trial than did Adam. Got to figure it out. What happened? Why is that? Was it her confession? Because she has a confession. She says this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And both of those statements, if you will, the serpent deceived her and she ate. Both aspects of her confession, absolutely true, aren't they? She did both. She didn't deny it. She's standing before who? Judge. At what? A court hearing. And she confesses. The serpent deceived me. I am the deceived one. 
She doesn't say the serpent deceived us, does she? Because the serpent did not deceive Adam. Satan did not deceive Adam. That's very clear in Scripture. So she's standing in front of the judge at trial and and confesses, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And for that, the woman has pain in childbirth. We're back here on item number F. She has pain in childbirth, greatly multiplied sorrow and conception, it says. Your sorrow will be greatly multiplied and conception. They're separated, multiplied sorrow and conception. So what's the obvious question there? What's that mean? What does multiplied sorrow mean? What does multiplied conception mean? If that can be done, if we, if we can make that, that statement, make that position. There would also now be a struggle in marriage. We are so used to marriage being a struggle that we don't realize that prior to the fall, there was no struggle in marriage. Where there was once harmony, a, a, a sinless marriage, astonishing as that may be, where there was once harmony, there would now be a struggle. In addition, the seed of the woman is going to come. That's, that does not seem, by the way, to be a, a sentence that... Um, you follow what I'm saying there? That's not punishment, is it? A seed of the woman would come. That seems like what? A reward. She not only didn't get a harsh sentence, except for the childbirth part and the struggle in marriage part, but definitely she got a reward here. The seed of the woman would come and he would be at war with the seed of Satan. And I just, as an aside, notice how sin brings war. You have war with others, war with self, war with God. Also notice that it is the seed of the woman. Let me repeat this so you get it as well as I can do it. Also notice it is the seed of the woman against the seed of the serpent. What are those two things? What are they? Those are phrases. What else are they? Hmm? They're titles. What are titles? Names. God has named two things right there. He's naming. Naming is very important here. We had animals named, we had women's names, we had a man named, we had the serpent named, we got the seed of the serpent named, and the seed of the woman named, if you will. It's worded this way, the seed of the woman against the seed of the serpent. Notice how it's not worded. It's not worded as the egg of the woman versus the seed of Satan, for example. Why not? Why can't I say... Through the woman would be an egg, and that egg would fight this guy's seed. It's not worded that way. It's the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. Or if you prefer, it's not worded the seed of God at war with the seed of Satan, is it? Why doesn't he say, through the woman will come the seed of God? He doesn't. Why not? Isn't she deceived? Didn't she sin? Isn't she bad? Didn't she go to trial? 
How come she's getting this lesser sentence? Because as, as Lori points out in the front row, that uh, it almost looks like an award, a reward. Didn't she do something really bad? And yet here she is, the seed of the woman. And obviously, as you know, the seed of the woman is God himself in the flesh. The ancient of days, the I am, the Lord God Almighty adding humanity. This is God himself. He is, he is naming himself, isn't he? He's, he can pick any name he wants and he picks, uh, and name, God names himself a lot. And he names himself the seed of the woman. And whereas the seed of Satan is a created being, right? Versus an uncreated being, it's the seed of the woman. The seed of Satan is a created being that is at least cherub and human. At least. I have a, a my 666 position notwithstanding. As you know, some of you might know my 666 position with regard to Judas. We'll get to that some other day. I've done it once. It's on the Internet somewhere. Uh, good luck finding it. Uh, but, by the way, it appears that the government can find it. Because it appears the government can find everything that's on the Internet, just so you know. That's their plan, right? I was listening. Uh, Christopher called me the other day and, and said, did you see this article about... Uh, it is now easier for the people monitoring the Internet to monitor an entire country at once to find what they want to find. Now, that seems to be a lot of information they're going through. And yet that's easier for them than to be more specific. Just take all everything that whole country does and sift through that to find what we want. This should be fun. We should have a really fun time as the world goes along here. Uh, people ask me now, oh, this will be, I went to a restaurant the other day and it said, uh, oh, I won't do it. I won't. Ask me after, afterward. It said, uh, you can figure it out. It said Santa Claus will be appearing here in a couple of days. Bring your camera. So I asked the lady that waited on me there, handed out my food through the window. I said, oh. So, guess who's coming? Anyway, the point in all of that is is that um, someone asked me, uh, uh, what do you say to each other when you're asked, do you love your country? And one suggestion was, not anymore. And the other suggestion was, stop loving your country. You know, we're supposed to we're not of this world. We're supposed to love God. Uh, the country is is going to change probably significantly in our lifetimes now to where we may not recognize it. So stop loving the country. Do what instead? Prepare yourselves. That's our job. Prepare. Warn others. Anyway, enough of that. Can't stop myself, though, as you know. God intends... 
to describe and name himself as the seed of the woman. And we must determine why he selects this name for himself. It's clear that Adam understood the significance of this name that God chose for himself. He understood the significance of God naming himself the seed of the woman. And he immediately calls his wife the woman. He calls her Eve. After that, once she's identified as the one who will have the seed of the woman, he changes her name from this. If you take the womb man position, he changes that name. He recognizes immediately that it's no longer good enough and it doesn't describe who she is anymore in any way. She must be called the mother of all living. Now, she is going to have the seed of the woman. And that's God's name. So he changes immediately once he recognizes that. Which makes Adam then, by the way, if Eve is the mother of all living, then what is Adam? He's the father of the what? Of the dead. She is the mother of the living. He's the father of all dead, exactly as Romans 5.12 declares. Through one man, death. Through the one woman, life, if you will, or living. Now, yes, I'm well aware that at some point I have got to take on the paternal principle, uh, not just because of Janet from Oklahoma who wrote in. And um, you may remember Janet's confrontation uh, with her Bible teacher who taught that Christ's humanity was distinct from the Virgin Mary's humanity. Huh? No transference of any kind. And I appreciate in an odd way what they're trying to do here, but it's problematic to say the be- at best, and it's a- absolutely indefensible, uh, frankly, but that's another story. Anyway, they want to make sure that Christ is not, does not have any sin in him, and they can't figure out how, if he is born of a Virgin Mary, uh, how it is that he would avoid the sin that is in Mary. They don't think that God had thought that through, uh, which... So they have to help him. Uh, if you, I don't want to give away. I did very, really, really good not giving it away the first time a few lectures ago when I brought it up. So you didn't know what I thought. And because I had this great plan of dividing you into two groups so that you could go and fight with each other. But I gave that up because uh, uh, it just, I just couldn't make myself defend the position uh, at all. With a straight face. Anyway, no, I'm kidding about that. It's just very difficult. Uh, I do appreciate what they're doing in one sense, though. They're, they're, they want to make sure that everyone understands that Jesus Christ cannot have any sin in him. He's God. Sin can't last in him. It can't even touch him. It burns up immediately. There's no possibility that he has Mary's sin in him. So that's what they're trying to do. And for that, I give them some credit and I appreciate them. But um, they, they need to realize that they're in great difficulty. Let me just go through it. Mary was, in the opinion of those who hold this view, though, only utilized by God as the carrier, and the Bible describes Christ as what in Luke? The holy thing. She is the carrier of the holy thing, right? We can't even understand what it is. It's the incarnation of God, him adding humanity. The only way we can describe it in the Bible is the holy thing. There it is. That's all we got. Because we can't. It's indescribable. We, we're humans. We can't figure out what he did. But anyway, she is the carrier of the holy thing, the Christ child, and she provides nothing. Certainly no tissue, no sustenance, no DNA, 
etc. Nothing. And, and, and most certainly they assert uh, that Mary did not supply her own egg. And so now you're left with God either brought his own egg, and I was being a little facetious. Um, what's the word I really want? Uh, disrespectful. Okay. So either God brings his own egg, so he has an egg dispensary somewhere, or he could create it, couldn't he? He could make an egg. I brought that up real fast. Or he supernaturally transforms Mary's egg to separate her sinfulness from her egg, which he could easily do. And and obviously God could do all of that. Uh, He is the creator of all things after all. He could have set aside one of Eve's eggs. That's a very common thing that you'll find that he when he builded Eve, he said, "Okay, I got to save one of those eggs. And he took one of them out or replaced it or did whatever he did. And that, by the way, literally makes Eve who? Yeah, that makes her, that makes Christ the seed of the woman. See how all that fits together? It it, it literalizes, if you will, Genesis 3.15 and eliminates Mary completely except as a surrogate. So you'll run into that if you haven't already. And you you may, again, remember a couple of weeks ago I I addressed this in cursory fashion, uh, I admit. But I I do know it's a serious problem for many, uh, or at least for some. And And I don't except the premise that God acted in a way that effectively removes Mary from the process that he established. I give the, I'm on the side that says God thinks of everything. And he would, he would have this worked out easily. Otherwise, you, you eliminate the purpose of the virgin birth entirely if you go to its, if you keep carrying the argument. And the virgin birth is what in Scripture? What is it? The phone is never for me, is it, Marie? But just in case it is, is it for me? No, rats. Uh-oh. Tell them that I would love to talk to them. <laughs> is it Anna? Is it really Anna? No, it's your sister Anna. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't be opposed to talking to her, but I have the Internet to worry about. Okay, there we'll keep going. Uh, the virgin birth is a foundational piece of doctrine and prophecy. It's foundational. It's fundamental. And God could have eliminated Mary and made her a surrogate, brought his own egg, done all of that. Uh, supernatural, um, and it is an incredible event that we can't even understand. But that, by the way, leads us, uh, leads one to a God of the gaps defense posture. Uh, and I see that um, as something you really don't want to be in here. I submit that God did exactly what the scripture says, duh. Okay? He selected a virgin Jewish girl to give birth to the Messiah. He, he selected a virgin Jewish girl to be uh, the seed, uh, to put the seed of the woman inside, if you will, the king, the I am, God himself. And so he did eliminate somebody from the process. Who did he eliminate? He eliminated the man aspect of it, didn't he? All men. 
So from this only one conception process, this is the only one like it, his birth absolutely, totally different in this sense. This only one conception process, human sin blood, contaminated blood, was also eliminated from it by this virgin birth. The purpose of it is obviously on the blood side, right? So we would have life blood instead of death blood. So the seed of the the woman would be the mother of the life blood, if you will. The father is the father of death blood, if you follow how I'm putting that together. Because as most of you know, this is the essence of uh, of, of what's called the paternal principle. I don't know how much medicine you've discussed and and how much you've talked about this uh, with one another. Uh, But the blood comes from the father, not the mother. That is the paternal principle. So, um, I have a couple of books that I have read, and, and uh, Bill the Cow has turned me on to Arthur C. Custance, uh, which I just read briefly today, a little bit as much as I could. I will, on my side of uh, my, if those of you who want to know what book I would recommend, I first came across this, a, oh golly, 30 years ago with M.R. DeHaan's book, uh, Chemistry of the Blood. But I'll bring all of that together for you so that you begin to understand the paternal principle and the fact that the blood comes from the father at conception and not the mother. And where blood types fit in and all of that. And once you understand that, then you understand that God is the father of himself here, isn't he? And that he is providing blood for himself. If that makes sense. The virgin birth is a great proof, by the way, of the authorship of Scripture, and the inspiration and the perfection of Scripture. The blood process is something that only who would know? Only the Creator, the one that made it, would know how the blood system, how blood, how your blood developed. Where did your blood come from? Did it come from the woman, your mother, or did it come from your father? It came from your father. God would know that, wouldn't he? He's the designer of it. Now, eventually, by the way, um, uh, Satan figures this out. Sodom and Gomorrah figures this out. And we now, uh, our generation, has certainly figured it out. But at the time this was written, the only one that knew Maybe Moses, you can make the case, because he is brought outside of time, and he's obviously, his head is, is expanded to technology we can't even begin to understand. Maybe Moses had it worked out. But we now know the blood is through the Father. Paternal principle. So more on this in coming lectures. For today, I just want you to recognize the significance of the blood origin process. The mother provides no blood. Tell your children that, fathers, so they'll appreciate you. The fact that the mother provides no blood, by the way, satisfies the Davidic covenant issue for you now. Because they say, Hosanna to the son of David when they see Christ. It's very important that he be what? Son of David, legally, in some way. Very important. And then you understand the blood of the sacrificial system better when you see how this all works. And the genealogies. What's the purpose of all these genealogies? Why do I have genealogies if Mary is a surrogate? 
and not involved in any way. Why do I have the king of David? Why do I call him son of David? Because that's one of his names. By the way, where did the name son of David come from? God named himself son of David. That's how it all works. And then, of course, you have the seed of the woman prophecy along with that and the communion symbolism. Why do you take communion if blood isn't important here? And the Passover inspection process and the doorway application of the Passover sacrifice and, and, and others too numerous to list for today. Anyway, when you understand the paternal principle, all of that helps you. And, and, and many of those uh, issues now are resolved uh, uh, cleanly and you don't have to, to be have a, a position that is uh, a God of the gaps position or in somehow because you can you can say, well, uh, God did all uh, all of these little things, you end up having to say all these little things that he must do now to take care of the fact to get rid of Mary, if that's your view. And, and uh, so uh, I, I think it's important now, and, and I'll go ahead and deal with it in the, in the uh, coming sermons. Okay, next problem to deal with, the sentence of Adam. The judge of all at the trial of Adam... The woman and the serpent. So I have a trial. Adam is on trial. The woman is on trial. And the serpent is on trial. By the way, I can't say that enough. When I say the woman, uh, what do you do when I give you that? When I keep calling her the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, something should be going off in you right now. What should you be doing? You should be saying, who else is called the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman? Who else is called the woman, by the way? Mary is called the woman. By who? God calls her the woman. Okay, that tells you a lot right now. Who else is called the woman? Israel is called the woman. So you've got to put all your womans together. What are the chances that all these entities or people that are called the woman are not related to the woman? They all have some kind of bearing. They help you understand what the woman is all about, right? The woman is a significant uh, subject in Scripture. Anyway, the judge at the trial of Adam, the woman and the serpent, pronounces sentences to each. Who gets sentenced first? Satan is the first one sentenced. Why? He's the only one that didn't confess, by the way. And he's sentenced to what? Death. He gets a death sentence. So he's going to be executed, if you will, spiritually executed for what he did. When? You have to know when. It's very important. Who is sentenced next? The woman is. And then Adam is last. That is not insignificant. Again, it's critical that you evaluate Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 3, 8 through 24 as a court procedure with a presiding judge. When you read that, you have to say to yourself, this is a court hearing. And I know that's why people don't read it, because they have read court hearing material before and they just can't deal with it. It's drool inducing. I get all of that. But you still have to know that's what's happening here. I have a court procedure. I have a presiding judge. Who is the judge there? What does he look like? Read your uh, Isaiah. He will tell you what the judge looks like sitting there. 
And you can figure out it's a physical manifestation. We'll get to that in a minute. And that makes it a Christamphony, right? <laughs> I spelled it wrong when I did it. I have to fix it yeah, just in case somebody in a hundred years finds what I wrote and thinks, thinks I can't spell, which is true. Anyway, I have a judge. I have three defendants. I have a sentencing. But first I have what before the sentencing? I have the trial. What's in the trial? Well, I have the judge acting as who? He's acting as the prosecutor, isn't he? And he asks four questions. You ought to know these four questions. First question he asks, where are you? Second question he asks, who told you that you are naked? Third question, have you eaten? Broken the commandment that you shall not eat from this one tree. And then the last question, the fourth question, what is this you have done? Those are the four questions. And most people read those four questions and go, wow, uh, you know. There's nothing there. These are the these four questions are without equal in all of human history. There's never been four questions like them. They're unbelievable. There's no questions ever written like these four questions. Where are you? Who told you? Have you eaten? What is this? I've shortened them. When you read these, know that their individual meanings are amazing and wondrous. And then collectively, when you put them together in a whole, it's astonishing what's there. Remember, God knows the answers to his questions. He knows where they are. He knows that they've eaten. He knows who told them that they were naked. And he knows what it is that they have done. So why does he ask the question? He already knows the answer. What's the purpose of asking the question? Who's at the trial besides Satan? The woman and Adam. Who's at the trial? Who's sitting in the bleachers, if you will, in the family section? I have the angelic host. Both fallen and unfallen. They're all there. Don't separate them out from Genesis. Don't do it. You'll end up in trouble that way. Okay? You'll end up thinking it's all about you. Which is a horrible narcissistic failure. God knows the answers to his questions. Start out first by asking, why does he ask them? Obviously, it is not for his sake that he is asking them, is it? Understand why God asks these four questions in this precise order. And that's going to unlock it for you, by the way. The where are you coming first, very important. What, what is that, by the way? Is that a physical question or a spiritual question right off the bat? Or both? But today we need to uh, look further into Adam's sentence. So let's do that. All the rest of that was just to get you here. You ready? Genesis three seventeen and 19. The sentence of Adam. You have a crime. You have the trial. You have the sentencing. Right? Uh, all of that happening. And we're in the sentencing of Adam right here. So let's read it. How complicated do you think this is? You'll spend your lifetime just trying to solve where is you. Much less who told you. What is this you have done? You have to define the this. Bring a lunch. 
So this is going to be amazing. Three verses. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. That'll teach you. Do not heed the voice of your wife. Uh, Just uh, as you know, though, there is right there, right there is a hundred questions. Bang. Start asking them in your head. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, here comes your sentence now, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In other words, I have to curse the ground for your sake. Because if I don't, you're going to end up in further difficulty than you're already in. So, Adam gets a reward. Notice right off the bat. Cursed is the ground for your sake. As opposed to who? Satan. Satan himself is cursed. And it wasn't for Satan's sake, by the way. Whose sake was Satan cursed for? Have to think that through. Who's at the trial? Who's watching the sentencing? What's going on here? Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. There's that eating again. All the days of your life. Uh Uh-oh. The life now has something to it that it's never had before. What's that? Days. The life had no days. There was no time. Now there's time attached to the life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. Those are new. And you shall eat the herb of the field. That's got to be new too. What did he eat before then? In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So he's returning to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's his sentence. And he knew that was serious, but he also saw cursed is the ground. Not cursed is Adam. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Immediately we got to notice the first obvious question. God says to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. He calls her his wife. And he says, you have heeded the voice of your wife. We need to get the answers to this obvious question correct or off into the ditch we're going to go. Once again, 1 Timothy 2, 14 and 15 becomes essential. Okay? Right, let's see. I don't want to foul up this board. I'll flip it over and I'll put it on the other side. Oh, look, it's already there from last week. Okay. First Timothy two fourteen and fifteen. Let's put it right here. First Timothy two fourteen and fifteen. Here we are. It's very important to know. Adam, it's essential. Adam was not deceived. He's not deceived by Satan, and that makes Adam unbelievably wise. Unbelievably intelligent. 
This is an incredible person here. And the angelic host knows we've got somebody that Satan did not deceive. As opposed to them. And they know it. Timothy makes that clear. That makes Adam unique, singular, wise beyond imagination. And he's also not deceived by Eve. Not deceived by Satan, not deceived by Eve. Not deceived means not deceived ever in this event. So, got to know that. It's essential. And the impact that has on this story. What does it then mean because you have heeded the voice of your wife? Did his wife fool him? No, that alone makes him the only man ever who ever existed whose wife did not fool him. But she did not. So when he heeded the voice of his wife, though, that is a sinful decision because that decision caused his sentence and also caused death to spread, sin to enter, right? So the obvious question is this. What did the woman ask for? She asked him for something. And he's not deceived. You can't have an answer that makes him fooled in any way. Or deceived in any way. What did she ask Adam to do? I submit in the context of the second tree. See, I also have the second tree here. First tree has been eaten up. So now we can take it off the board if you want. You can eat from, see, isn't it interesting? You don't need to eat from the second tree because you already have life. If you eat from the first tree, you now have death. If you go to the second tree while you have death, you have forever death. But once I eat from the second, the first tree, I could eat from the first tree every day because I'm still in death, right? Just like I had no reason to eat from the second tree, now I have no reason to eat from the first tree. Does that make sense? Once I eat from it, that's a critical piece of information. But I submit that the second tree not being taken from Genesis 3:22 through 24 and 1 Timothy 2:14 and Romans 5:14, Adam who is a type of him, when you put all of those together, the fact that the second tree hasn't been eaten from, the fact that Adam is not deceived, and the fact that Adam is a type of Jesus Christ, when you put those three together. And that's where we are, Romans 5, right? You put those together, that all of that, all of those as evidence, the dying woman comes to Adam with only two possible requests. She's only got two things she's going to ask him for. When you got all of those there, there's only two things that she can ask him for that don't violate the second tree, the deceived, or the type of Christ. Okay? Hope that makes sense. Uh, and now, also keep in mind that both the woman and Adam confessed at trial. They both pled guilty, if you will. Is it pleaded or pled? Is it flied or flew? In other words, does the center fielder, when he goes back on the ball and makes the catch, did the batter fly out to him or flew out to him? And if you're in front of the judge and you, did you pleaded guilty or pled guilty? Does anyone ever notice that it's all these pleaded and flied? It, it is. 
And I, I have a reason why I think that's the case, but I'm not willing to defend it. So I'm going to say they both pled guilty. Genesis 3.12 is the confession of Adam. Genesis 3.13, the confession of the woman. By the way, out of order of the sentencing. You notice that right off the bat? Different order anyway, not out of order. So both confessed. Adam is a type. Adam is not deceived. Adam did not take from the second tree, nor did Eve. Why didn't Eve? So again, with all of that, by the way, do you think Satan tried to get her to take from the second tree while she was taking her? She took from the first. Does he take her right to say, hey, take the second. You got no problems. Does he try that? She doesn't do it. If she did do it, she's forever in death, just like Satan. So. With all of that on the table, the guarding of the second tree is still possible at the trial. Still possible. It doesn't happen until after the sentencing. So somehow between the crime and the, and the sentencing and the trial, there's a time period there. How much is, is up in dispute? But I'm going to tell you, it's a year minimum. I'll make that defense when I get into the Passover prophecy. Anyway, it's a year before the walking in the garden occurs, how is it that they didn't go to the second tree? So the second tree can still be guarded at the trial. It's still possible. Meaning they didn't go to it, didn't reach out his hand. Why, why not? Adam's not deceived. He's a type of Christ and he has a confession. There's four things there, right? Now, what could the woman have asked for that does not conflict with those four elements? Because she's going to confess, he's going to confess, he's not deceived. The second tree is still possible to go to, and he is a type of Christ. So, what I want you to do now is write your answers down and pass them forward. I'll wait right here. I have medicine. When I did this many, many years ago, and Katrina's not here uh, anybody that was in that Bible class that's now 40 years old. Um, when I did it that many years ago, I asked them to send exactly that. I stopped right here and I asked them to send their answers forward. And I looked at their answers and went, I have not taught them anything at all. So I learned not to ask questions that I didn't know the answers to right then. So, I don't want to insult the audience by providing the answer, because I know that you have already figured it out. Or at least I'm hoping you've already figured it out. I want you to figure it out without me giving it to you. But on the remote possibility uh, that the visitor doesn't know, but you can't ask the visitor his name, and he will not admit that he's a visitor, and he certainly will not tell you what he does. Um, but uh, there's also people listening by the Internet that might need a teensy little small clue. So I'm going to give you a teensy little small clue now. I'll remind you that if I have the New Testament question, what do I have? I have an Old Testament compliment, don't I? All I have to do, if I have an Old Testament question right now, I have a New Testament compliment. So all I have to do now is find the New Testament compliment 
two, what possible two questions could the woman have asked the man who is a type of Christ? Adam is a type means what? Somewhere in the New Testament is what? Where Christ does this. Where Christ fulfills this. Christ himself fulfills Genesis 3.17. Just as, as Adam, the first Adam, has a woman come to him and ask him two questions, Christ has a woman come to him and ask him questions. In a sense, the woman is a what? That's how we started this. What is it? Go find out. Well, I wrote it on the other side. Every place there's a woman mentioned, you have to put the woman with the woman. Right? Put all your womans together. I told you that already. So that's one of your clues. Somewhere in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is confronted by someone who is dying and calls out to him very much in the same, for lack of a better word, typology that occurred to Adam. Somewhere in the New Testament, a dying woman... A woman deceived into adultery. Is the woman in Genesis 3 into adultery? Yes, she is. A wife, a woman deceived into adultery, a wife who is on the brink of death, crying and weeping and in despair and anguish, asks Christ to do something. What does she ask him to do? Save me. That's what Eve did to Adam. Save me. That's what the woman did to Adam. She's not Eve yet. I'm going to submit to you. Am I giving you the answer? Do you all not... Are you insulted by it? How many of you wrote save me on your piece of paper? Don't raise your hands here. Save me, please, my husband, save me. That's what she says to Adam, isn't it? And so, now all you have to do is note that Christ quoted Psalm 22.1. From the crucifixion site, he quotes it in front of who? In front of the woman, by the way. Not just the woman Israel, but the woman who? Mary is there as well. Put your womans together. Go gather, gather all the womans. Put the womans in a box. And sort all the womans out one at a time. Figure out what the womans are. And you will have your solution to the other question. Psalm 22:21, Matthew 14:30. Peter is a type of Israel, isn't he? He has decided to walk across the water. And how does it go for him? He begins to drown, and what does he yell out as a type of Israel to Christ? Save me. I submit to you identically to what Eve came back as she's dying and says to Adam. Peter is an incredible type of Israel, and you have to understand that, especially at the last chapter of John. When Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know all things. Finally, he answers that Christ is omniscient God. As a type of Israel. It's the last thing that Israel will do when they are surrounded by the world, about to be extinguished. What will Israel scream out to Christ? You are omniscient God. Save us. And what will he do? 
he will reach out to them, quickly save them, and say the exact same thing he said to Peter. Why did you doubt me? Okay? Revelation 12, 13 through 17. What's that? That's Israel defined as who? Called what? The woman running from Satan at the end of the age. Jesus Christ's very name means the one who saves. He is the saver. He is also the judge, by the way. Whenever you have a physical manifestation of God, that is Christ himself. So Christ is both judge and savior. Okay? So if you want to call him the saver, you can. Adam, by the way, did he save the woman? No, he did not. Adam did not save the woman. Which makes the story much more complicated. Adam is not deceived. Adam is a type of Christ. Adam doesn't go to the second tree. Adam confesses. But Adam does not save the woman. The woman was not saved by Adam. What does it say the woman is saved by? Childbirth. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. What does that mean? And what else did she ask Adam to do? I have it right here. There it is. Right there it is. Let me underline it for you. Here's her other thing, the second thing she asked him to do. And this tells you the difference between Christ and Adam. Your clue, by the way, is Psalm 22.1. What does Psalm 22.1 say? Christ quotes it. Oh, I'm out of time. Oh, well, then you'll, that's it, out of time. Next week, we will answer the question. Let's rise and be dismissed. You should figure it out with that, Psalm 22.1. Here we go.